It is my contention that we need to get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and back to the written word of God for proper instruction and correction. And those who refuse to conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ and who create divisions and obstacles contrary to the teaching presented in Scripture are to be marked and avoided. Romans 16, verse 17. It is worth noting that those who teach falsely are noted in Scripture as those who bring division. We must call a spade a spade. False prophecy has occurred. It continues to occur, and God is granting mercy right now to those who will repent and test themselves to see if they are even in the faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Since the call is to not despise prophecy, then I pray that we begin by not despising the context of the truth found within the confines of Scripture, and may we be more concerned about offending God than offending man. You just heard an excerpt from my latest blog post featured on Love Scribe. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Scribe. You may not be aware, but a few weeks ago, a statement was released in response to the multiple issues and errors in the prophetic movement that were surrounding the pandemic, the 2020 election, and other events that transpired on even into this year in 2021. And this statement was initially signed by 85 recognized leaders in various capacities of the charismatic slash Pentecostal church. And I saw this document a few weeks ago, uh, a day or so after it had been released, and I read through it and thought about what it was saying and began to pull out my Bible and to test some of the things that were being said in accordance with Scripture. I started to have my own thoughts and questions and even concerns, and I had some agreements as I read this statement. And I wanted to talk about that today in this podcast. I also had written a blog post last week addressing just some general things. Now, when you do a blog post, you typically like to keep it a certain length, and I didn't want to make it into a novel. (laughs) There were several issues I wanted to address, but it just wasn't the appropriate place to do that in greater detail, and the podcast seemed to be the most ideal thing to do that Even then, it's going to be very difficult to address all of the questions, thoughts, concerns that I had while reading this. So I'm only going to touch on a small handful of those things. The goal of this podcast today is once again to get you to open the Bible, to test things, test what I'm saying, test what's in this prophetic standard statement, which I would encourage you to read this statement. I do have the link for it in my blog post from last week, but I would encourage you, you can Google it, you can type in prophetic standard statement, you can look at it and read through it yourself. It's about a four or five page document. It reads more like a confession of faith is what it seems like. There's a lot of affirmations in there. We believe, we recognize, they also have some things that they reject in there. And so it would be good to read through that And I will also tell you this, to avoid any impropriety, I actually submitted my original blog post to my pastor and to the elders at my church to have them evaluate it and to review it to make sure that some of the things I was talking about were biblically based, and just to get their thoughts on how to approach this from the blog post initially, and they were very helpful with that, and I greatly appreciated that. I wanted to be held accountable for what I wanted to say. I always remember in doing this, I want my words to be seasoned with salt, and I I want to be gracious to people, but at the same time, bring the truth and love. 
and to potentially put a pebble in your shoe, maybe if, if you've ever read the book by Greg Kokel called Tactics, that's a statement that he has in there for those that recognize that. What I hope will happen from this podcast today is maybe it will put a pebble in your shoe and it will get you thinking about some of the things that I'm about to say, some things I'm about to point you to in scripture, and to get you evaluating things from a biblical standpoint. It's very important that we do that. What I would also encourage you to do when you're reading, I would encourage you to, to look at it with an open Bible and an engaged mind. The Bible encourages us to use reasoning. The reasoning is not a bad thing. Critical thinking is not a bad thing. This is something sometimes that, depending on who you're talking to, there can be more of a tendency to base things on personal experience or emotions, which experience is helpful, but it's not the full basis of truth. It can help us to make decisions and determine things along with that. But we always, as Christians, want to take it back to Scripture and measure our experiences against scripture to make sure that what we experienced isn't aligned with the truth. And if it's not, then it's okay to reject those things. I would encourage you to use critical thinking. It's very important to do that. There's nothing wrong with critical thinking, critical thinking and using reasoning. The Bible instructs us to reason and to do so. As someone who was involved in the charismatic church, who was a former prophet. I consider myself a false prophet in this movement because there were things I said that did not come to pass. And I also believe that there were things that I was doing that were in deception and not realizing that some of the things I was doing were not biblical in word and deed, even though I was sincere. Sincerity, as you'll hear me say later on, sincerity is not the mark of truth. Rather, the truth based on the word of God is the standard. My sincerity, that is not the the barometer of truth. And we can easily say that about other religions that are not pointing to the to the true Christ or not even pointing to Christ at all. They're not pointing to the true gospel, the only way to the Father. We could easily say that there are people in other religions, there are people in other belief systems and such that are sincere people, but that doesn't mean that they're correct. And so this can apply just as much so in the prophetic movement. Sincerity, again, is not the marker or the barometer for the standard of what we look for, it is truth. And you'll understand why I say that in a, in a little bit as we get into this. So I have some, some insight into this movement. And when I read this statement, I just felt strongly to write something about it and to minister to those that are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in this movement. And hopefully to, if there's anybody on here that's listening, that's, that's part of these movements, that you'll hear my heart in this and that you'll, again, take things back to scripture and realize that I'm not attacking anyone. I don't mean to disparage anyone, I call attention to any particular individual or anything. My goal is to point you back to scripture and to get you thinking in a such a way that you're using reasoning in accordance with the Bible and making sure that above all that we're honoring God, we're honoring the Lord Jesus Christ and all that we do and that we are not we are not diminishing the word of God nor are we twisting it to make it suit our own notions. We don't want to do that. So when we're looking at this statement, I do want to mention a few things in here first and foremost that were really good to see. Now whether these things come to fruition or not, Time will tell with that, but I do appreciate the fact that there were things that were mentioned in this document that were acknowledging, for example, that there was spiritual manipulation that has taken place in times past and continues to take place. And there was also a call to accountability. I hope that those things are not just being verbalized and that there's not going to be any action with those things or 
a continuance of instilling these values in people that are saying that they're professing believers in Christ and then putting some action behind this. I don't want this just to be done just in empty words, but I would I hope that there are things that come to fruition from this. But again, time will tell. So I did appreciate the acknowledgement of that, the spiritual manipulation that's taken place uh, to hear some people that are professing prophets that will essentially threaten people, saying that if they don't listen to the words of the prophets or don't ha- have faith in them, or if they th- they judge trying to judge those words, that they threaten them with physical harm to threaten them saying that God hates them, uh, different things like that that have been said uh, within the past year when it came to certain things such as the results of the election and things, which some of these things can get really volatile, politics and such. People tend to get really volatile and really heated really fast about those things. Again, I would just remind each of us, myself included, that we are always as Christians to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, as you've heard me say that time and time again, we must remind ourselves of that because we do not want to not glorify God in in how we act and how we conduct ourselves in word and deed and to ultimately not be pointing back to Christ as the author and finisher of our, of our faith, of our Lord as our Lord and Savior. We want to glorify Him in all that we do as believers in Christ. So I did appreciate the fact that these leaders were saying, were acknowledging this, and that there was a call to accountability. I appreciated the statement that prophets are not spiritual diviners or prognosticators. Uh, it was also noteworthy and appreciated that a statement was made addressing the belief that those who claim to be prophets are verbalizing threats and judgment, as I just said, on those who would not obey their words. There were areas such as this mentioned in this document in which I agreed. So several things of these that I just listed, I did agree with these, I affirm them, and I appreciate that they were stated. Having said all of that, I will be honest and say that there were more disagreements I had in this document than I had agreements. This is something, honestly, I would not sign my name to. Now, that's coming from myself, and this is why. Because of these these disagreements that I see issues with this. Again, I hope that you'll open your Bible and just read along and extend some grace to me as I'm extending grace to others, even though that there are frustrations I see at times in this movement that can be bothersome to me or troublesome. I still want to extend grace to people because much grace and mercy has been extended to me and much forgiveness has been extended to me by Jesus Christ. And I want to have that same love towards other people. So one of the first things that I that I found myself disagreeing with or questioning was, for one thing, again, I'm not going to cover everything because I can't do that. It would be like drinking from a water hose, okay? I don't want to bombard you with a bunch of things, but there are maybe three or four things I just want to point out in this podcast regarding the prophetic standard statement that were alarming or of concern or thought-provoking. The first one was this statement from the, the prophetic standard statement. It says, quote, We believe that the general function of the gift of prophecy as it relates to the church has to do with edification, exhortation, and comfort. See 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. As this gift relates to unbelievers, it can reveal the secrets of their hearts and bring them to repentance, demonstrating God's reality to them. See 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 through 25. So the first thing that we should notice here is whenever anyone is quoting scripture, if they're not reading that passage or if it's not actually being typed out 
or spoken verbally out loud to you, the first thing that you and I should be doing is we should open our Bibles to see what that scriptural passage says and not just take it at face value in someone's statement that the scripture that they're applying to their statement is applicable and fits the the standard that they're presenting or it fits that what they're trying to apply and correlate that scripture to. We always want to make sure that we know what that scripture says and not just glance over it and just think, well, we're they're they're quoting scripture, so it's 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 valid. So what I did was the actually the, it was the second half that I wanted to to talk about was the first Corinthians chapter 14 verse 24 through 25. So when we look at that passage, we're going to open our Bibles, and I have it right in front of me, so I'm going to read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 24 through 25 states, But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. This is a great passage, and when you read 1 Corinthians 14 in its entirety, it appears that Paul was bringing correction to the Corinthian church and their misuse and abuse of tongues and prophecy. And he was establishing biblical order in the local church. So we have to look at this in the grand context of everything. Another thing, too, that's really good to do is not just look at one or two verses because you may miss the context of the passage of Scripture. So what's good to do is if you ever see someone mention one particular passage of Scripture, just one or two verses or one verse, it's always a good idea to read around that verse. What do I mean? I mean, maybe read 10 verses before it and 10 verses after it to see the context. 1 Corinthians 14 is a great chapter to read. Actually, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 to get a good understanding of the spiritual gifts is really good to read and to get the context of what's going on. And when we understand that the Apostle Paul was putting things in order for the Corinthian church, because quite honestly, the Corinthian church was a mess. Uh, Just like we can be sometimes, you and I can easily be messes of our, (laughs) in our, in and of ourselves at times. And the Corinthian church was no different. They were, there was all kinds of stuff going on that we won't get into in here, but you can read every chapter and Paul is having to address so many things. Even at the beginning of Corinthians, he tells them, he, he talks about their immaturity spiritually. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, he's trying to set the, the order here in the church and how tongues are to be conducted, which that's a whole other topic for another day. That is something I would like to talk about at some point. I've had some people reach out to me, message me, and wanting to know my stance on that and to to have a, a podcast on that. So there will be at some point that I will do that. I'm sure that that is going to stir up a hornet's nest when I do that one. There's so many different things about that that people can get really passionate and really emotional about that when you start touching certain subjects like that. But we need to be looking at those things. And I'm actually going to make a statement here in just a minute that may ruffle a little bit of feathers, but it's going to be based on scripture. So please hang tight with me and be gracious. So when we see Paul addressing this in here, this is 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. Prior to this in verse 23, Paul is again putting in order the use of tongues in the Corinthian church 
which were languages, versus the gift of prophecy. And he's trying to explain to them the value of prophecy over tongues in the church and that tongues is for the unbeliever, that prophecy is for the believer. And then he goes on to talk about that if all prophesy, as we just read, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, this sounds like that this is a, in prophesying, this sounds like this is a proclaiming of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's calling that person, that unbeliever, to conviction and to repentance. They are being convicted because they're hearing the, pro- the proclamation, the proclaiming, the prophesying of the Bible, to of the gospel, but in their in their own hearing, in their own presence and they are having their secrets of their heart revealed now that doesn't mean their their destinies or their desires but that's it almost sounds like here that the secrets of their hearts are disclosed why would they be falling and worshiping god and repenting it would be because the things that they have tried to keep hidden in darkness potentially are being exposed because of the declaration of the gospel of jesus christ and they are realizing the call to repentance they're responding to this call of the gospel and acknowledging this and falling on their faces and worshiping God and realizing that the people are really know God because they are proclaiming him and declaring who he is and testifying of him. Okay. If I'm reading that correctly, (laughs) that's, that's the takeaway I get from that. Yet when I read this passage and they're referencing this and it says it, that, as this gift relates to unbelievers, this is in the prophetic standard statement, it can reveal the secrets of their hearts and bring them to repentance, demonstrating God's reality to them. I had to ask this question coming out of this movement. Is this what is frequently occurring today with prophetic words in corporate gatherings on social media and in conferences? Is this what's taking place with the gift of prophecy that unbelievers are in the midst of this? I know this is going to be a touchy thing to say, but I believe that there are unbelievers that are in this movement and they haven't really heard the gospel. They are moved by emotion or by this desire for manifestations and such, and maybe they've been led to another Christ that cannot save. I also believe that there are born-again saved believers in this movement, and they have been bewitched by some of these things. They've been enchanted by some of these things and been led astray to a certain point. Some of this can be dangerous. Some of this can really also leave people jaded. Uh, It can do some damage when people are seeing prophecies not come to pass. They start to blame God, which is not God's fault because God is not errant. They can start to lose faith and and not realize that their faith is rooted in their salvation in Christ and not in words and deeds and not in prophets. But our faith is rooted in the salvation that Christ has given to us on the cross, has provided for us on the cross by satisfying the wrath of God and us having eternal life by confessing that he is Lord and Savior and that he rose from the dead. So these things can cause problems when the prophecy is not coming to pass. But this, uh, get back on the trail here. When I read this passage of scripture, I thought, okay, is this what is occurring in these services that people are being called to repentance that the secrets of their hearts which our hearts are deceitful and wicked is what the bible tells us who can know that who can know the our hearts because they're deceitful and wicked they're not good apart from christ we are not good romans 3 tells us this that no one seeks after god none of us are good no not one 
we cannot claim goodness in and of ourselves. We're just not good. But in Christ, we are made into a new creation. We are clothed in his righteousness. So this was the question I asked. I read this passage. I'm like thinking, well, this is a great statement to make that you believe this. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are believers that are being ministered to in these corporate gatherings. And it's a revealing of the desires of professing believers' hearts. And that it's being prognosticated is what it appears to be based on experiences uh, based on ex- personal experiences that I've had that I've been in meetings where for example 2017 I was ministered to in June of 2017 I was pulled out and by someone that I know and during a public corporate gathering and was ministered over about being a national prophet and being elevated to another plat- a higher level platform and being equated to David and that Eliab was not going to be able to silence me. 2019, in February of 2019, I had specific family members and such that were called out by name that uh, this person did not allegedly know them or know anything about them and began to prophesy the name of a business and the name of different specific things in people's lives and different contracts that were coming and such. And, you know, some people will say, well, that was a word of knowledge. Some people are going to say that that was a word of knowledge. My ultimate question in all of that is, who is that glorifying? If someone is able to call out an address, the name of a business, which some of those things can easily be found on the internet, they can be found on our social media accounts. What does that, I mean, psychics can do that. So how does that glorify God when we're not testifying of him and we're not calling people to repentance and we're not telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ? So that was that's part of that question I have too but the ultimate thing was here and I want you to think about this those of you who are in this movement is that what you're frequently seeing are you seeing unbelievers continue to be ministered to in these services in a prophetic way that it's bringing them to repentance is that what's taking place or is it the other is it all believers and senior leaders that are being ministered to and being told all these accolades that are going to happen to them and all these great things that are going to happen to them and prophesying all the things, the desires of our hearts, the inward, the hidden desires of our hearts. And it's really about us and puffing us up. Who's being glorified? That that's, those are the questions I, I, I sincerely ask from all this. And, you know, I've heard the saying that the prophetic ministry is to call forth the gold out of people. I'll, I'll just tell you this right now, y'all. When prophesying, one of the things that's not talked about in prophesying is forthtelling, which is the inspired preaching of the Word of God. It is like Revelation 19.10 says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I got news for y'all. When you hear someone ministering the gospel, ministering the Word of God in spirit and in truth and in con- in the proper context, you are hearing prophecy come forth because the word of God is prophecy that's been fulfilled, the Old Testament, the New Testament. It is a more sure word of prophecy according to Second Peter chapter 1 verse 19 and 20 as Peter spoke of it. It was a more sure word than his own experience on the mountaintop seeing the transfiguration take place. And Peter was making that clear. He was there to see the transfiguration of Christ take place and yet he said there was a more sure word. And then it was written by those that were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
men that were fallible men, yes, but when they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, they were carried along by the third person of the Trinity who is infallible and that this word was divinely inspired. It is God breathed according to Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. It is God breathed and is divinely inspired and it, it is profitable for correction, for reproof, for, for rebuke, for instruction, for and, and training uh, that man up in righteousness. This is the prophetic word that we're talking about, is the proclaiming of the the Bible, the proclaiming of the written holy word of God, the scripture. And so this was one of the things that I thought about. And going back to this this thing, and you may have heard this, and I used to teach this in, in the church I was once part of. I used to teach about how you could be, quote, activated in, the, in, in your gift of prophecy, which, by the way, the Bible does not teach that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11 tells us that the Holy Spirit gives the gifts as He wills. We cannot activate them. We can't impart them. We can't wish for them. We can't pray them. We can't decree them. We can't declare them. We can't demand for them, command them, or anything else. The Holy Spirit gives gifts as He wills. And we can't return them. We can't ask for a refund if we don't like the gift that God's given us. We are faithful with the gifts that God has given us. And we rejoice in them because ultimately we are to build up the church with the the gifts that God has given. And we are to glorify him. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about glorifying the one true living God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one to whom we belong and the one to whom we serve. And calling the, this, this teaching about calling the gold out of people, sin is anything but gold. I mean, when you're giving the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, that they're sinners, they're dead in their trespasses, they're lost without God, there's good news. And the good news is that though, though they are dead in their sins and by nature children of wrath, that God in his mercy sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and to atone for sin so that they could be reconciled to the Father and be given eternal life through faith in Christ alone to save them from the wrath of God. If you need a reference for those in Scripture, that's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, and Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Now, in addition to this, first disagreement that I have. I had one more point with this, and I know that this may bring some contention, but again, I say this in sincerity and humility and with and in graciousness, okay? Since this statement is talking about 1 Corinthians 14, and it references about utilizing this scripture as a reference point in how to conduct prophecy in the church, that it's for edification, exhortation, and comfort, and that it's uh, applied, applicable to unbelievers and, you know, d- reveals the secrets of their hearts and calls them to repentance and that they worship God. Another question came to mind. How is it to be reconciled in these movements based on using 1 Corinthians 14 for the standard of the prophetic ministry, while at the same time not adhering to the biblical instruction provided in this same chapter with regards to tongues? I can tell you that I was in corporate gatherings where people were encouraged to speak in tongues all at one time, out loud, to pray in tongues, to speak in tongues. And at the, also, too, there were times that whoever was ministering on the microphone would also begin to publicly pray or speak in tongues. None of that was ever interpreted. And so my question is, how can this passage in Scripture be used to bring correction to the prophetic ministry or to say we affirm and believe what this is, while at the same time there's not an adherence to the biblical passages in that same chapter regarding the proper use of tongues. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23 
26 through 28 and verse 40 would stand in opposition to what's being done manifesting in these services in this, that those things of telling everyone to pray in tongues all at one time out loud or to do that on as one person and then to not interpret that that would be in direct opposition to scripture that was that's what it would seem as taking place another thing i would mention as well is that 1 corinthians chapter 14 verse 29 talks about judging prophecy and I would like to know if anybody has ever seen that take place in any of these, in any service that you've ever been in. I cannot recall that ever happening. The next statement that I wanted to address was this one. It said, quote, prophets do not serve as spiritual fortune tellers or prognosticators, nor is their role to satisfy our curiosity about the future or reveal abstract information. Now, though this statement is appreciated, the truth is, is that this practice is being perpetuated in this movement. Many people are seeking out personal direction from those who claim to be prophets and foretelling is the primary focus in this movement. I can tell you from there were times that people would actually e- message me um, in on my social media or they would email me and they were seeking a word from me about their future. And I can recall three different times at least, and it happened more than that, but I know of three different ones that it happened that people would message me. They wanted to know what God was saying about their future, about their job, about their marriage. The fact of the matter is, is that this is going on in this movement. It's prognosticating and it is spiritual divination. It's fortune telling. And I would not do, I would, when I would respond to people with these, with their messages, I told them I'm not going to do that. I can tell you from someone who is in this, that a lot of this, a lot of this is going on. What's alarming is that there are people that have placed their faith and trust in self-professing prophets and their prophetic words. Believers in Christ need to be directed back to the word of God for proper instruction. Biblical illiteracy is a major issue in these movements. I can personally attest to that. I was someone who, sadly, I hate to admit this, I was one of those people. I did read my Bible, but I didn't study it. But another thing I was guilty of doing was whenever in a corporate gathering or if I was in private time in prayer, worship, you know, what have you. And if I had a specific Bible verse that would pop in my mind, I would look at it and see if it applied in that particular corporate gathering or, or how I felt like what the Lord was saying extra biblically about it. And I would take it and put it into a prophetic word that I thought that God was speaking to me. The sad part about that is, is that I was actually taking scripture out of context and misappropriating it and really not, not honoring God in the process. You know, these things go on and and a lot of that has to do with biblical illiteracy. People are not reading the Bible. They're not studying the Bible. There can be a tendency that people crave more of an experiential type uh, atmosphere or setting when they go to corporate gatherings where uh, instead of just wanting to learn more about the word, having a hunger for the word, hungering, hungering and thirsting for righteousness and wanting to, to meditate on the word of God and really missing the point of that developing true intimacy with God should begin with us understanding what his word says. When we read the Bible, there is no doubt whatsoever that this is God speaking through people that were inspired by his spirit to write the things that were sufficient for us to know how to live godly lives. 
and to know God's ways and to understand them better. So that way we could go glorify him and understand his, his plan from the very beginning, from the foundation of the earth, what he had intended and what he is going to do in the end. We have no doubt about that. And yet their biblical illiteracy, and it's not even just in the charismatic and Pentecostal church. When, if we're really honest across the board any in for the body of Christ, there is such biblical illiteracy that takes place. I've seen in some studies that a couple years ago, for instance, the Barna Group, I believe, had done a survey of a few thousand people. And when it came down to the frequency of people reading their Bibles, the largest percentage was of people that never read their Bibles, which was 33%. One of the smallest percentages was people that read their Bible daily. It was around 14 to 15% of people actually read their Bibles daily. When I saw that study about a year ago, when I saw that, I realized that I fell into that category of the 14 to 15% and that that was not okay. That, that that was a major issue. And this is a reason why people are blown around by every wind of doctrine because we don't know the Bible. We haven't taken time to read our Bibles or we're depending on someone else to tell us what it says or we're relying on experiences and, and manifestations and our our feelings and our emotions are getting caught up in this in these things and we're not questioning we're not testing to see if what we're being taught is truly scripturally based we're not testing it to see if it's pointing back to Christ or if it's really just hyping us up and getting us and administering to our emotions rather than than really ministering the truth to us and what we need in order to gain spiritual maturity you know these are things that we need to be honest about and I've pain it's been painful for myself to have to look at my own life and to, to hold a mirror up and to be honest and to say, these areas I'm falling short in, I need God to help me. I need to be led by his spirit, not by my flesh. And I need to be in the word daily. I need to be in the word to to in, be encouraged. and But first and foremost, to know what God's instruction is. So that way I can know how to, to live godly and to, uh, before him and to glorify him in all things. The biblical literacy is a major issue. In probably across, the, I know across the board, but when we're talking about this particular movement, the prophetic movement and such, I can personally attest to that. And there is little to no teaching about prophecy being inspired preaching and proclaiming of the Word of God. Usually it's more of a focus on foretelling as opposed to forthtelling. Another statement that was made in this uh, document was, quote, prophets receive supernatural revelation from God, but they are also dependent on other fivefold ministry leaders for the interpretation and application of the revelations they receive. So this, when I, when I read this statement immediate, and it could have been where I was affiliated with, if some, you want to call it this, the, the NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, which even people that don't call it that, essentially it's, I was in the movement that was, focused heavily on the governing authority of the apostles and prophets and that you don't challenge their authority and along with a lot of other things manifestations and gifts and you know a lot of a lot of other areas but the biggest core foundation of that was the apostles and prophets that were being reestablished that had governing authority within the church so when I saw this statement, it immediately sent up like a red flag to me, and I did not know, first and foremost, the 85 people who originally signed this document, I immediately wondered, are all of them in agreement with this? Are all of them believing that there are apostles and prophets today, that they are big A apostles rather than missionaries or church planters? Or are they all in agreement that there are apostles and prophets that have governing authority today? 
And I don't know the answer to that, if they all believe that or not. But it made me think of that, and it made me think that this was implying that the presence of modern-day apostles, given the statement that the body will only come to full health and maturity, this is a quote from their statement, through the fivefold leaders. So I would be curious to know the stance on this, and Ephesians 2.20 came to mind, because Ephesians 2.20 seems to be clear in its understanding that the apostles and prophets in the Bible have already laid the foundation for the church with Jesus Christ as a chief cornerstone. And if you know anything about building a, a building, you only lay a foundation once. You don't continue to lay a foundation in a building or a home, and just as we don't need another foundation laid because the New Testament for us today, we can we certainly benefit from the Old and the New Testament. When we're talking about the New Testament, the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation in the New Testament. Um, I would tend to read that as the apostles um, in the New Testament and the prophets in the Old Testament. I know some people differ in that. But that foundation has been laid, and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Just as we don't need another foundation laid, there is no need for another cornerstone. So it would seem that the fivefold is still ministering to us today in the way of the apostles of Christ, ministering through the written word of God. And the prophets certainly are in the Old Testament still ministering to us today through the Bible, as well as the more sure word of prophecy, as I've mentioned before in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, which are the scriptures, are still ministering to us today when we read the word of God or we hear it read aloud in corporate gatherings. The next statement I want to touch on, uh, this, there's two left that I want to do. This next one I know, again, is going to be a sore spot for people, but again, I I hope that you'll extend grace to me and that you will go back to scripture rather than your opinion or rather than your feelings on this and see what scripture has to say. This next statement is from this prophetic standard statement. It says, quote, all spiritual leaders should be vetted and qualified by their respective churches and follow standards set forth by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 8 and Titus chapter 1 verses 5 through 9. Again, what I said earlier in the very beginning when I was talking about 1 Corinthians 14, it's always really good to go back and look at that scripture. Both of those scriptures, when you look at them, you're going to see something that they share in common. And they mention these two passages of scripture. So both of these passages are clear in the qualifications of an elder or deacon or a spiritual leader over a church. And one of the main things that they share in the list of a qualified leader to oversee a church is the husband of one wife. So my question is, how is this reconciled in this movement with women holding pastoral offices, claiming apostleship, and holding authority over men in their congregations when this te these texts both clearly state that this, this qualification has one of the prerequisites as being the husband of one wife? It seems, again, to be going in opposition to that. There are women that have signed this document that are claiming to be apostles. They're claiming to be founders of a corporate church, and they are, they are having authority over men. And Scripture also has things to say about that as well in Timothy, in the letters of Timothy that Paul wrote. So these are not things that we can just ignore. We, If people are going to highlight these scriptures and they're going to say we believe that you know all spiritual leaders should be vetted and qualified by their respective churches and follow standards set forth by the apostle Paul and then quote these passages then you have to admit that there are people that are not 
following the standards set forth by the Apostle Paul. If it's not the husband of one wife that's overseeing a church. And then lastly, the final few paragraphs of the, the prophetic standard statement were great areas of concern for me and, and areas of disagreement. And here's why. When identifying a false prophet, I noticed that there was one statement made. And again, there were other things that were concerning to me, such as uh, implying that God can can speak errantly. I, I hope that that's not what they meant in that particular pass uh, in that particular statement. But I did want to talk about that. I know other people have talked about that, and, and that was also very concerning to me because it just makes me wonder. You know, first of all, God doesn't speak errantly, but is it possible for God to speak less authoritatively uh, then than he does now? That was another question I had. But anyway, I digress to something else. We need to get back to this. So when identifying a false prophet, there was a statement made that a false prophet had to do, uh, basically their concept of a false prophet was someone that was not ministering by the, the actual, the true Holy Spirit. And that false prophets were actually... Uh, wolves in sheep's clothing. And I seemed to, and I, and I noticed when I read this statement, I noticed that Deuteronomy 18 and Deuteronomy 13 were not mentioned. And I, I know that those two passages in particular, over the past couple years of looking at them, those were passages that ministered to me personally when I was coming out of this movement and realizing some of the things I was doing that were in error and going against the word of God. Deuteronomy 18 and Deuteronomy 13 lay out for us plainly the the characteristics and the truth about a false prophet. And then some people are going to say, well, that's the Old Testament. We don't need to be looking at that. That's the Old Testament. We don't, we don't stone prophets today. You know, people are going to take that out of context as well. And no one's calling for prophets to be stoned today. I'm calling them to repent is what I'm doing. I'm calling them to repent and to turn to Christ and to turn away from these things that they're doing and to stop bringing reproach on the name of Christ. That's what I'm calling false prophets to stop doing and to recognize that God is granting grace and mercy to those uh, in, in that are in error and that he is extending grace and mercy to them and in the call to repentance. There is great love in that, great mercy and grace and love calling someone to repent for their sins and to repent for their ways and turn back to Christ and, and to really change their conduct and their affections and their loyalties and everything that are towards certain things that are not of God and to turn back to Christ. That is the call that I make. I don't want anybody stoned. I want them to turn from their ways. And if they're not going to do that, then they are to be marked and avoided and, and to not listen to what they're doing because they are dividing the body. It is not the truth that divides the body. It is false teaching that divides the body of Christ. So Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 5 and Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22 help us in our understanding along with other passages referenced in Jeremiah 23. Also worth noting is that 26 of the 27 books of the New Testament in some way warn about false prophets and false teachers. So the New Testament is not silent on this. Jesus talked about false teachers, false Christ. He warned about them, false prophets. Every single book in the New Testament, with the exception of Philemon, they address false teachers, false prophets in some manner. It is not silent. And if that's the case, then the fact that that's taking place in the New Testament and that's being addressed and warned about, that should give us pause 
to realize it is a problem. It was a problem then, and it's a problem now, and it's still worth talking about, and it's still worth noting, and it's still worth calling people to repent. The term was used, sincere prophet, and I'm going to push back on that. And I mentioned in this in the very beginning that sincerity, though that's a really nice and noble characteristic to have, sincerity is not the standard. And you can be sincerely in error. Sincerity has nothing to do. That's it's subjective and it has nothing to do with the truth. The truth is the standard. The truth is is found. The word of God is the standard. That's where the truth is found because it is the truth. And there are people in these movements that are openly stating that the Lord gave them a dream, a word, a revelation, a vision. I know, guys, I've been there and I did that. I have no T-shirt that I can tell you that I have to verify all of this. But I, I've i been in this situation where I had that, a dream. I had a word that I typed and I shared in my blog and it was shared on other media outlets on more than one occasion. Um, I had visions. I had revelations. And... You know, people are going to say, well, how can those not be from God? Well, our experiences don't interpret scripture. They don't. Our experiences are to be tested by scripture. Our, Our experiences are not the barometer of truth. They can deceive us. That's why we need to test everything. And they credit, people can credit, I did this, we credit God with these things. And we'll write books, and we'll write about these experiences that we have, or these dreams and these visions. And when failure happens, or our teach, the teaching is blatantly contradicting scripture, it seems to go unaddressed, or unnoticed, or it's just kind of brushed under the rug, and and nobody talks about it, or, you know, there are people saying they have trips to heaven, they go to heaven all the time, and, you know, that they watch John Wayne movies with with God, and they do, you know, they see bunnies driving tractors, and, you know, just lots of different things, and nobody is calling this stuff out and testing it and saying, this is bringing reproach on the name of Christ. There is a, a severe lack of the reverential fear of God. These experiences seem to be more man-centered, and according to scripture, anyone who claims to be a prophet or who prophesies something with which does not come to pass has not spoken on behalf of the Lord. That prophet has spoken presumptuously and need not be feared. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 through 22. And as I said, sincerity is not a factor given in this. And accuracy is not the only mark of a true prophet. Now, busted watches write twice a day. Psychics can be accurate in what they're doing. But we know that psychics are not godly because they're not hearing from the Holy Spirit. Accuracy is not the only test. It's are they leading you to the right, to to the proper God. Deuteronomy 13 talks about if a prophet or dreamer dreams comes to you and what they say or what their dream is comes to pass and then they say to you, let us go after other gods. God instructs his pe- the people of Israel, do not follow them and do not listen to them because the Lord your God is testing you to see if you love him and are going to follow in his ways. That's what God is telling them. Telling them that they need to listen to his instruction. Do not listen to them, even if they're accurate. Why? Because they're leading them astray into idolatry and to other gods. Into spiritual adultery. That can also happen when another Christ is being ministered. Another Christ is being preached. Another gospel. Paul warned the Galatians about that with the Judaizers. In Galatians 1, he said, if I come to you or an angel comes to you and preaches another gospel, that instead of the one that we preached, let them be accursed. He tells them, warns them, don't listen to them. 
So this is, we, we cannot ignore these passages just because they're in the Old Testament. And then at the same time, you will hear people, they'll say, well, you know, that's Old Testament. But then they'll quote Amos 3, 7, and they'll say that God doesn't reveal anything without first revealing it to his servants, the prophets. That's in the Old Testament. So we can't have it both ways. We can't say, well, we're going to take out this particular passage because it's Old Testament, but we can quote Amos 3, 7 because it serves our purposes. The whole counsel of Scripture is profitable for us to train us up in righteousness and for godliness. And we can glean from Deuteronomy just like we can glean from anything in the New Testament. We can glean from any of this, but it's got to be in the proper context. Under the Old Testament, that prophet was to be put to death. And I praise God for his mercy and grace in granting repentance to those like myself who will repent of their sins and turn to Christ today. False prophecy calls for repentance and repentance brings a true change in conduct. So in closing, you know, there were several other areas that I I did not touch on. And my point in saying all of these things is this, that we've got to get back to scripture and I feel like I'm a, I'm a broken record saying that, but it, there's such an urgency that, that I have with, with the messages that I write and that I speak on. We've got to get back to Scripture. We have got to get back to a reverential fear and awe of the Word of God and for God Himself. Above all things, for God Himself. And to say, for those that will, that are, that say that they're prophets or that you say that you prophesy and that you're saying that God said and the Holy Spirit says, and then those things don't come to pass and there's no, you don't want to take accountability for those things. I would just like to, to lovingly say to you, when we say that God said something and it doesn't come to pass, or there's the scripture doesn't support what we're saying, we're making God a liar, and God's not a liar. The Word of God says that God is not a man that he should lie. So we we need to really evaluate ourselves and see, okay, am I following the right God? Am I following the true Christ? Have I made a God of my own imagination? Have I made a God of my own likeness um, in my own image that serves my own purposes? Am I, am I bringing reproach on the name of Christ by the actions that I'm doing? Am I, do I really know what the Bible says? Am I really having things, experiencing things that are in alignment with scripture? Am I honoring God? Do I know the gospel? Have I heard the gospel? Do I know the gospel? Could I minister the gospel to somebody else? Am I content with forthtelling, with prophesying in forthtelling in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and honoring God in, in that capacity and knowing that when I'm ministering the word of God in the proper context, that I am prophesying, that I am proclaiming Christ and him crucified, that I am essentially doing what Revelation 19.10 says, that the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Am I content with that? Are there areas, are there things that I need to repent of that I'm, that are grieving God, that are grieving the Holy Spirit that I am attributing to him, but they're not him. They're not coming from him because it is going against his word and the Holy Spirit would not do that. The, his spirit would not lead us to get, to do things that are contrary and that would negate his word. He, he simply wouldn't. So I, I implore you guys that are listening that you, maybe you fall in that category and just to ask you to, to test yourselves to make sure like that to test yourselves to make sure that you're in the faith as 2 Corinthians 13, 5, as Paul instructed the Corinthians to do. 
Scripture is sufficient for helping us to understand how to live godly lives. And it is for certain God speaking through those who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned. I hope that you found this podcast helpful today. I hope that you've heard my heart, which again is not infallible. It, 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 every day I, I repent for things before the Lord and continuing to ask God to keep my heart soft before him and to always bend to his will and to his ways and to correct me where I need correction. I hope that you've heard my heart in this. And above all, I hope that you've heard the word of God preached and that you've heard God glorified in all of this and that you've heard the call to repent. For those, again, I, this last thing I want to say, for those that are saying that they're prophets and their words have fallen to the ground, and we know that God's words do not fall to the ground. Isaiah 55 tells us that his word does not come back null and void, but it actually does and fulfills the purpose for what he intended it to do. So we know that when God speaks and God has spoken through his word, we know when God speaks that his words come to pass. There are people that their words have fallen to the ground and they are not repenting. I pray that they do. When they're not repenting and they're continuing to to proclaim error, they're continuing to proclaim things that are in direct opposition to Scripture, then I would lovingly tell you that you need to stop listening to those people. You need to not follow them. You need to not listen to them. Pray for them. Pray that they would be changed, that they would repent, that they would turn from their ways, and that they would not lead other any more people astray. Please follow the listen to above all listen to what the word of God says read the Bible get back in the Bible find good solid godly teaching that you can sit under that is going to help you grow in your in your walk with the Lord and help you to to walk in maturity and to glorify Christ and everything that you do in word and deed and is going to testify of him because we are going to give an account. We're going to stand before a holy God and we're going to give account for words that we've said. We're going to give account for how we've, how we've conducted ourselves, how we essentially, that we are going to, to stand before him and what we did with Christ, basically. What did we do with Christ while we were here? What did we do with him? I'll leave you with that. And maybe that'll, <laughs> I'm hoping that that will give you something to meditate on because he's worth meditating on. So be blessed today by this word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, And we continue to grow together in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.